All right, back here on Sports 1140 KHDK. Jason Ross here with you. Sean Cunningham joining us at the bottom of the hour. Chris Landry, one hour from now, LandryFootball.com. Capital Casino is back with indoor gaming and dining located inside at 411 North 16th Street in downtown Sacramento. We're going to get some football stuff here in just a moment. Our top five, bottom five for another week of action around the NFL. Uh, Some college news that's breaking here just moments ago. Uh, let's find out here this uh, story. We were talking to you about Cal this last week and what they had to go through is how many players were out. Well, the Pac-12 football game scheduled between Cal and USC for this Saturday has been postponed due to additional Cal football student-athletes who tested positive for COVID-19 and are unavailable to practice this week or play in the contest. Cal has contacted the Pac-12 about rescheduling the game later this season. What's interesting is this would be the first game that's either postponed or canceled if it ends up being canceled. Because remember, there was talk by a lot of the commissioners before college football season began, really putting the emphasis on teams getting, one, vaccinated or in check or keeping this um, as isolated as possible, that forfeits would have to happen if games weren't allowed to be played. As of now, this game is not a forfeit. Cal is looking to get the game rescheduled. We shall see as uh, as that story continues. So, uh, COVID hasn't gone away, by the way, just in case anybody thought it might have. Um, before we get to the top five, bottom five, uh, one other thing that's going on with this, man, this Las Vegas Raiders team is, is had endured way too much this year, way too much, from the Gruden situation to the Henry Rugg situation. And then they also the other day, and we forgot to mention this the other day about uh, Damon Arnett, um, a player that uh, they've now had to cut loose because of just another awful video that showed up of him making – Death threats. Here's uh, some of that audio. Five minutes away. Pull up, Wayne. I swear to God, I will kill you. <laughs> On everything I love, I will kill you. You talking crazy. <laughs> Somebody five minutes away. Like, I really deal kill you. I real deal kill you, man. I will real deal kill you, man. And I ain't the only one here, too. We got a whole army in this. <laughs> pull up right now. It's five minutes away. All right, pull up right now. All right, so that's Damon Arnett uh, from the Raiders or X-Raider now. Here's Mike Mayock talking about that. Today we waive Damon Arnett. Very painful decision. We spent significant time, effort, and resources trying to help him in all facets of his life. There have been a series of bad decisions over the last year or so, but we cannot stand for the video of Damon with a gun threatening to take a life. The content was unacceptable. Contrary to our values, And our owner, Mark Davis, has been very clear and very consistent that this is not how we will conduct ourselves in this community. The bottom line, the Raiders will not tolerate this type of behavior. On a personal note, I've talked to Damon, his dad, a couple others in his life. He's a very talented young man with a good heart. If he cleans up his life, I know he can make a living in the NFL. But not now with the Raiders. Yeah, message sent. Can't do it. And just, my gosh. Just too many things going on with them and that organization right now as uh, they uh, try to get back to action this week when they get the Chiefs on Sunday night. Now, will the Raiders end up in the top five, bottom five? Here we go. Let's give you that top five and bottom five. Bottom five for a new week after this last week's of games. And um, everybody I thought was good in the top five all had a rough week, so we'll adjust that coming up. But first, we start with the bottom five teams right now as we speak after nine weeks of NFL games have been played. Uh, 28... I kept them in the bottom five, but they've moved up because they got a great win this week. Jacksonville, they beat the Bills in 9-6. Not the best game, 
Five field goals were made in this game. Three by the Jags, two by by Buffalo, and it was 9-6 the final. But because of that win, their second of the year, I moved the Jags to the fifth worst team at 28. The Jets, they're 29th, still have a couple wins. They've got a couple of good wins, but uh, not a great football team, but have uh, have better wins than probably would be expected, but just a couple. I put them at 29. Washington, the Washington football team, what are they good at? I don't think anything. thought a year ago they had a really good defense. That front group put a lot of pressure on quarterbacks, made the playoffs. Uh, they have two wins. And offense isn't exciting. Defense isn't good anymore or wasn't isn't as impactful as it once was. So I put them at 30. Second to last, the Texans. They won in week one. I thought they might even get better now that Tyrod Taylor is back, but uh, they did not win this week. They lost to Miami. Just the one win, and they've got a long losing streak going, and it doesn't look like they've got any help coming soon for that team. So I'm going to put the Texans at 31. And then dead last, they're still there, Detroit. 0-8. Detroit is kind of an every third week super competitive team, if that makes sense. Uh, a couple weeks ago, they had that great outlook and great plan against the Rams, came out super aggressive and had, what, 10 nothing lead before the Rams even touched the ball after scoring an onside kick and fake punts and all that, and then ultimately the better team won. They battle, but they don't. Then there's some weeks where they just get crushed, and they look like they're a really bad football team. So uh, they've had their coach question their quarterback, who they traded for. It, it's just been a tough season for them. So Jags 28th, Jets 29th, Washington football team 30, second to last at 31. I put the Texans, and at 32, the 0 and 8 Detroit Lions. All right, five to one. This is a shakeup from a week ago. I had I had several teams in here last week that. Uh, that lost. It was a tough week for the first place teams in the NFL. At number five, they didn't play last week, and it was probably a good thing because a lot of teams were getting knocked off. Uh, Tampa Bay, the Buccaneers, the champs, still good, still really good. Six and two, got a good uh, score differential. They had a week ago lost a bad game, I would say before the bye to the Saints, but it's a good football team. They're six and two. Tom Brady's having a great season. And they're a problem. They're going to be a problem for a lot of teams. I put them at five. At number four, a team that was disappointing this week. They did lose, but they moved down my list substantially to number four, and that's the Rams. Rams are now seven and two. I thought they had a lot of things pointing in their favor in the game on Sunday night. One, they were home. Two, they're playing a Titans team without Derrick Henry. And Stafford had one of the games that made him look like he was playing for Detroit. Made a few more mistakes. The one he made in the end zone was just, I know guys think they can make a play when they're in trouble, but just take the safety and give up two points and not throw it away and give up potentially seven. It wasn't a pick six, but it gave him the ball at the two-yard line, and it was six points a play or two later. So a uh, bad week for him. I still think the Rams are very talented. Want to see them you know, really start to gel defensively with the addition of Von Miller, and unfortunately for the Niners, that may all take place this week win the Rams and Niners battle on Monday night. But uh, the Niners uh, will have, have their hands full for sure as the Rams come in at number four on our list in our NFL top five, bottom five. At number three, a team that lost, but it feels like a little bit of an asterisk for them. 
and they lost because their quarterback wasn't there, and their quarterback is so important to every team, but maybe this team almost more than any, and that's Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers has been playing like an MVP, and it almost made him look more like an MVP the way the team played without him because Jordan Love was not good. The Chiefs were beatable. The defense did a good job of keeping them in the game, and I think Rodgers would have thrived against Kansas City's defense. There was one good positive. What's that? Uh, Jordan Love's mom and girlfriend didn't get to see how oh, badly yeah. he played. What was the story with that? Or they got there really late, or did they ever yeah. get there? They got there. They were like, it was comical. They were at the very last row, the very top of the oh, stadium. Oh, so they were there. I just thought they didn't even arrive or something. But they were on the very top of the stadium. That's the tickets they got? Yeah. Wow. Still no love for Jordan at this point. Yeah, he wasn't good. He wasn't good. But I think that the caveat to that loss, it was closer than I thought it might be without Rodgers, though I told you I thought the Packers would win, but what some thought it might be. Um, but it was really just a bad game. I was thinking that was going to be the game of the week, and it really didn't turn out to be, especially without Rodgers. So I put the Packers three. At number two and climbing, the Titans. The Titans have an okay loss to the Cardinals. They have the weird loss to the Jets, but they got a lot of good wins. And I do start to now believe that they're a good team, even – without Derrick Henry. I just thought that would have more of an impact specifically this last week when they were taking on the Rams. I just thought that's so much of what they do is their physical nature and that run game. But getting through that journey right there, they just went through Buffalo. Well, it started with a win against Jacksonville, but after that, Buffalo, Kansas City, Indianapolis, and the Rams. That's a really good stretch. Now they get New Orleans, um, who's also a good team, and then it's Houston the week after. So it, it should lighten up on them a little bit. They've got two with Houston still to go. Uh, Jacksonville again, Miami. And we're looking at a team that really could be the one seed in the AFC, which is amazing to think even without Derrick Henry, though they're hoping that he still make a, might make an appearance before the season is over. So there's five is Tampa, four is the Rams, three is Green Bay, two is the Tennessee Titans, and number one, I got him back there, and that's the Arizona Cardinals. Still with just one loss. And this week, they kind of got more credit, more points for not just for beating the Niners, for, but for doing it in a way that they did. Comfortably, with Colt McCoy, without DeAndre Hopkins, they outplayed, outcoached the 49ers, and that's a good thing when you can do that, when you can win in a way where what you do best is taken from you. And in that case, it's by health. Hopkins and Murray are their two, two of their best players. And they were able to control the game, play it on their terms, and look good. So the Cardinals go to number one. Again, bottom five, Jags, Jets, Washington, Texans, and the Lions dead last. Top five, Buccaneers, Rams, Packers, Titans, and Cardinals. New week of action starts on Thursday with Thursday Night Football. Of course, we'll have that game coming up on Thursday. That one will be, what, the Ravens and the Miami Dolphins from Miami. All right, when we come back, could Matt Olson? be a New York Yankee. Man, there's some rumors about that and more. Also, the Major League Baseball announces the finalists for their postseason awards. We'll get to that when we come back here on Sports 1140 KHDK. Hey, time to get a new mattress. Shop local at Sleep First. Jason Ross back here on Sports 1140 KHDK. Sean Cunningham joining us at the bottom of the hour at 5 o'clock. Chris Landry, LandryFootball.com. 
We'll be uh, stopping by to get the very latest in college and the NFL. So we've got all that coming up. Still the crossover as well. More on last night in the NBA. Steph went for 50. 50. He had a big night, uh, unfortunately, for the Kings. They had a brutal third, and uh, they lost to the Phoenix Suns, 109-104. Did you happen to hear Atlanta's uh, play-by-play guy getting Steve, upset? No, about Steph or oh, what? Oh, yeah. Or is it worth hearing? I'll find it. Okay. <laughs> Let me know when you have it because I'm, I'm intrigued now. Um, I'm assuming it's radio and Steve Holman, but I, I, I think got it's it. TV. Oh, it's TV. Bob Rath. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. What's also interesting is, uh, it can be as the baseball's hot stove league as, uh, things are going on right now, uh, for people looking at, as we mentioned yesterday, uh, qualifying offers, potential free agents and the off season, um, news out of Oakland. And many thought once the first domino fell with Bob Melvin leaving the team to become the new manager of the San Diego Padres, that many more things may start to go and fall into place as potential moves for the Oakland A's. Well, some news coming out today is uh, Matt Olson could be someone that could be targeted, and the New York Yankees are among clubs with interest in trading for him. Man, I'm a Yankee fan. Of course I would welcome them to take Matt Olson, But it makes you wonder... What are the A's doing here? I mean, what are they doing? The other names that are being put out on the list right now, the A's are willing to get trade inquiries on right now, according to reports, are some of their veteran pitchers, young veteran pitchers, I would say, Sean Manaya, Frankie Montas, and Chris Bassett. I mean, that's their staff that helped them. Ha- I mean, Bassett was an all-star. Olsen was an all-star. Chapman's been great. That His name hasn't been mentioned yet, but I wouldn't be surprised. You see the way it was handled last year with a guy like Marcus Simeon, who, by the way, as the baseball award um, announcement will come next week, who wins the awards. They announce the top three, basically, so we kind of know who's in the running, even though I think most people had an idea. But Monday will be Rookie of the Year, Tuesday Manager, Wednesday Cy Young, and next Thursday Most Valuable Player. Here's your candidates for American League Most Valuable Player, at least the top three. Vladimir Guerrero, Shohei Otani, and Marcus Simeon. Simeon had an amazing season, all because the A's went frugal with him. I personally think this is a great race because Vlad Guerrero and Simeon were incredible. But to me, what's the memory of the year is Shohei Otani? What he did for the game. Now it didn't produce as many wins as he would have liked. Now the Blue Jays also didn't make the playoffs either. So you have three candidates that this is about their offensive production. And so that's a good race in the American League. In the National League, Bryce Harper, Juan Soto, and Fernando Tatis are your candidates for the National League Rookie of the Year. Cy Young in the AL. Top three finishers, Robbie Ray of the Blue Jays, Lance Lynn of the White Sox, and Garrett Cole of the New York Yankees. In the NL, Corbin Burns of the Brewers, Zach Wheeler of the Phillies, and Max Scherzer of the Nationals, and then ultimately the Dodgers. That's your group there. Rookie of the Year, American League, the Rays have a couple of candidates in Randy Orozarena, Wander Franco, and Luis Garcia for the Astros. In the NL, Dylan Carlson, local product here. 
Jonathan India from the Reds, and Trevor Rogers from the Marlins. And then lastly, the last category is manager of the year, Dusty Baker, who said he's going to come back another year for the Houston Astros, Kevin Cash of the Rays, and Scott Service of the Mariners. Mariners had a great season that no one really saw coming, so I think he's the one that might get that. In the National League, how about this? Craig Council of the Brewers, great year. Mike Schilt of the Cardinals. Now, he was already let go. He's been fired. And then I think it's going to be Gabe Kapler of the Giants. I mean, just nobody, I, I would say no one expected. Even the most positive Giants fan or someone that had an outlook of them having a good season would have given them, what, a wild card? 85 wins, something like that? Not 107. It was just amazing. I think he's going to be the... Uh, the easy winner in that one. So those baseball awards will come out, but I just go back to talking about Simeon and the connection of how the A's refused to really pay him. And he just signed the one-year deal to see if he can bet on himself. And it's one of the best free agent signings of anybody last year. Here was Simeon's numbers uh, for the A's. He played uh, all 162 games, hit 45 home runs to set the single season record for second baseman. Remember, they moved him over to second base because Bichette was over there at shortstop. But Simeon was amazing, had just an amazing season. And for the A's to have these rumors now of Bassett and Montas, Manaya, and maybe even Will, uh, Olsen being on the move or potentially on the move, I know they would get a great haul in return, but those are people now you're going to wait on again, and just the cycle is never-ending. And I think by removing Bob Melvin, it's going to be tougher to keep things going in the direction they've been with that continuity. Now there's names like... Um, you know, Ryan Christensen that's been talked about, Mark Kotze. Um, I still think Ron Washington would make a lot of sense for them. But the A's to put some vets, I say quote-unquote vets available, is very concerning to me because I know there'll be major, major interest in those guys. All right, Chris, you said something about uh, Atlanta. So Atlanta last night was playing the Warriors, and they had a nice lead. They actually built a really nice lead early. Then Steph got going in with 50. So what is this audio you have? Uh, this is their TV play-by-play, Rob. Rob Rathman, I think, yes. yeah. So this is his thoughts. Okay. Steph going for 50. Curry with a floater. I mean, yes. okay, he's got 50. Is it really that big a deal? Obviously. I mean, you've won championships. You've been an MVP. You're going to the Hall of Fame. What's the big deal about getting 48 or 50? I don't get that. Yeah, they wanted that, and they make a quick foul to get them out of the game. Hey, being a player, I can see it. I see it. But you're up by oh, Yes, you're up by 20. You're up by 20 before that shot. I mean, it makes no difference. You know. But... I've seen that happen so Come on. Come on, Bob. You know if it's flipped and that's Trey Young with 48 and they're at home and they're beating the Warriors by whatever the final, let me see what the final was, by 14. Everybody in Atlanta wants Trey Young to get to 50. And Trey Young is not Steph Curry yet as far as what his career is and, and at Steph's totality of his career. Other thing he said is right. He's a champion, two-time MVP. He's going to be a Hall of Famer, one of the great players, great shooters we've ever seen. That's at home. Reward the home fans. If it's two more points, if it bothers you, stop them from getting 50. Come on. Not that Bob can do that, but the rest of the team. Don't you think he would go nuts if, if Trey Young has 48 and they're at home? 
he would call that completely differently. But if Trey Young had won championships and he's a soon-to-be Hall of Famer, then you don't go for 50 like that. Mm-hmm. The other night, the Kings were killing the Charlotte Hornets. I remember, why is Rashad Holmes? Oh, he needs one more rebound. He got the rebound. Everybody went nuts. It was fun. First 20-20 night. If you remember, we were a little, we set the card up a little too high for him. What do you mean? During one of the commercial breaks, we, were, we wanted 30-20. Yes, we did. Well, he slowed down scoring, but he got, uh, I think it was 23-20. Ended up with a really big night. So, uh, the big guy said to you, oh, one more quarter to go. He could get 30-20. Yes, yes. They stopped going to him. They needed to go to him, but he got his rebounds. Yeah, Steph last night, 50 points, 7 boards, 10 assists in a win when they were getting crushed early, but they flipped that with a 41-20 third quarter and ultimately got the win. All right, so halfway through the show, when we come back, we are going to visit with Sean Cunningham, ABC 10 Kings reporter and reporter of all sorts of things in the air, but we're going to talk and zero in about the Kings with Sean when we return right here on Sports 1140 KHDK. All right, back here on Sports 1140 KHTK. Jason Ross here with you. Top of the next hour, Chris Landry, LandryFootball.com, will join us for his weekly visit. Still to come, the crossover as well. Before we get you to UC Davis basketball, as UC Davis will take on Utah State tonight, 6 o'clock pregame, 6.30, tip-off here on Sports 1140 KHTK. So the Kings uh, have lost the last two, lost to Indiana, and last night had just the most bizarre second half, as we said. It felt like three games in one first half, pretty standard Third quarter, just awful. Fourth quarter, what? What's happening? Are they really going to do this? Ultimately, they lost to Phoenix. Let's talk more about those Kings, though, with Sean Cunningham, who's uh, back with us. Sean, of course, works at ABC 10, covers everything in the world, including the Kings. Sean, how are you? I'm great. I just got fired up by Shot It Tonight, top five killer song, in my opinion. Probably not shared in that opinion by your board op, Chris Verlod, but... Uh, I appreciate it. That's uh, that's that's high praise right there. Well, that's high praise. I can't it's tell you praise. how uh, much detail went into this. Chris has been thinking about the rejoiner song for you for a while, and I did he let you know which one he wanted to play? He threw me because I thought he was telling me that it was going to be the skateboard jockey <laughs> from SNL, which I thought was an absolute trash sketch i told him that's um, what his song was going to be when yeah. he came on <laughs> okay that's what he wanted to play i didn't get it like i really didn't no, get it was that awful sketch. it was awful well i mean it's not for your guys's generation so what do you mean yeah. what does that mean yeah you guys are older uh older but not that much older than you sir mm, much older than me <laughs> you when you graduated high school clinton was still in office so was he? I can't even remember if that far back. <laughs> well, you guys aren't that far apart. You and you and Chris, right? That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, You're in no, your forties, right? The president. No, I'm not in my forties. I am forty. <laughs> yeah, that's in your forties. Oh my goodness! No, Jason is in his forties. I'm forty. You're in your forties. <laughs> so, are you not in your forties? Are you? Uh, are, do I you think, think you're, you're in, in your forties when you become forty-one? You think you're in your thirties still? I'm not. No, I'm in between. <laughs> I like the way you think on that. I like the way yeah. you think on that. There uh, it is. Yeah. Um, 
that makes as much sense all of that i think as the second half yesterday sean what what was that that was the weirdest i mean there games have there's 82 some are more memorable than others uh i think the kings by and large have been okay this year and then in the first half was just pretty standard and pretty normal good com- uh competitiveness and then the third quarter was just awful just a total train wreck by the kings yeah i mean it was you hit it right on the head i mean it was it, it, it was even uncharacteristic right like yeah. i don't even think last year we would have seen that because I was talking to someone today and it was like, boy, you don't have many games where the Kings are like 20 turnovers and you could, you know, the cynic would say, well, that's because they don't move the ball, hmm. but they don't, they don't have games like that. 24 turnovers, 38 points to Phoenix overall. And it was just so out of character. I mean, look, we've seen this team get pasted on the rebounds on the glass. Um, you, you, you don't really see games like that. you've seen teams. You've seen this team miss shots. You've seen this team fight adversity and still remain competitive. And you thought that in that third quarter, okay, it's completely turned on its ear. And all of a sudden, <laughs> okay, just chalk this one up as an L. It's the first time they've been blown out all season. And then you, they almost had to play a perfect game the fourth quarter on with two guys that haven't even sniffed the floor all season in Chemezi Metu and Damian Jones. Jemias Ramsey comes in for like a minute 30. <laughs> and then and that was weird. And then all of a sudden, here they are. Here they are, and they're right back in the game, and they cut it to three. And, yeah, I mean, it was just so out of character. It was so strange because that first half, as you said, I mean, I actually thought it was a super entertaining game. Not a lot of defense played in that first quarter, which is a little unusual from this Kings team so far this season. But uh, that first quarter or that first half was unbelievable. And <laughs> that third quarter was just unbearable. Yeah, and I'm with you. I thought, okay, well, they haven't had this. I mean, they've had bad quarters. They've had bad halves. But I thought, well, this is this is so bad that it's going to dictate that this one's over. And, oh, well, we really haven't been in that. And we had just given the stat yesterday. Look, in 10 games, they've had the lead in all four, 10, uh, in the fourth quarter in all 10 games. That's pretty amazing. So that shows you how competitive they've been. But this one won't be the case. And then before long, it almost was. Something I was talking about earlier, Sean, and I don't know what the right answer is on this one. I know why coaches do it. And Coach Walton, with the exception of, as you said, had Ramsey in there for 90 seconds or so. Um, but kind of kept the group that brought him back. But since it was such an outlier group with Jones and Metu, I personally think that night, last night, I would have switched and put, whether it was Holmes or Buddy or both, something just when it started to get to about nine or seven with a chance, I would have done that. I don't know. I don't know how you would have done. I definitely would have gone back to Rashawn for sure. Um, and, you know, no slight to those guys. Like you said, you, 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 you write out the guys that brought you to the dance. Right. Uh, but I, I even asked Aaron Fox after the game about that scenario, because that the loss to Indiana is when he got really critical. I mean, that was a 10 game mark and he was really critical about, I mean, you could say, Hey, Darren, you know, Talk about your own performance. Obviously, we know you've struggled. And his primary concern is late-game execution and the way they closed out games. And so, obviously, you, you fight back from 21 down in the fourth quarter alone. You play this perfect game. You hold them to 11 points. And there in lie, here comes these late-game execution problems again. Is it an anomaly because you're playing with guys that you haven't normally played with in game situations? And I wanted to know. And he's like, yeah, I mean, he couldn't answer it. He says it was different than – it felt different than some of the other games that they played this season, even in wins where those late-game execution moments show up and they're not quite there or they kind of, you know, wet the bed. Hmm. A, lot of these, a lot of these things were self-inflicted last night, but then they wore back the way they did. I understand it. I do think Luke got a little too cute for his own good last night, but I also um, – 
have heard some other rumblings that uh, with some stuff that maybe I'll be able to report later this week that, that may have played a role. But I feel like, you know, last night kind of sent a message to, to a lot of guys. What, what do you mean by that, though? Not without revealing your story there, but the, the too cute yeah, for his I mean, own good. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think some of the substitutions and like, again, you're bringing in Jemias Ramsey in a situational moment and, you know, there's a lot of kind of tinkering along the way. I think there's a lot of things, a lot of factors that came into play. And I, I do feel like he might have outcoached himself a little bit too much in the final few minutes of that game to where, um, you know, maybe there was messages sent. Maybe there was, you know, maybe there was a little bit, a, a couple other things that were just uh, uh, on the horizon there that, 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 you know, wanting to finish this out and, and knowing that what, what it meant to not only this group and, and being, I mean, he probably, look, some people may have already chalked it up as a loss mm-hmm. and I don't think he did. And that was like a weird moment when you're having Jemias Ramsey and De'Aaron Fox, you know, check in at a certain point to play with Mezzi and, and Damian Jones and a very strange combination, but then you cut it to three and it's like, okay, all you were doing, like Luke mentioned last night, you cut it to 10, it's a brand new game. And you know, the old adage, if you're within 10 with two to go, it's, it's anyone's game. So you know, once it got down to three and there's some moments there, look, I mean, Darren Fox misses those two free throws. Weirdly enough, Booker falls out of with two missed free throws of his own. So it's just such an odd, strange happening that just went on last night that, um, I don't know, I felt like, much like yourself, if if Rashawn Holmes had been there, had they gone to some some other options that ordinarily might have taken you to the dance, that that maybe you would have finished it out. So you've seen 11 games. I like this team. I like what they I like what they've identified. I like who they're playing, when they're playing. I mean, it's certainly not perfect. Rebounding has has been an issue. Uh defense is better, but it's not a, a final product. But overall, I like their compete level. I like what they bring every night and and to me it shows why they're a better team to me Sean is the nights where it's not falling. They've had chances to win games. What's your overall opinion of what you've seen through 11 games that this team is now 5 and 6? Well, to me, I think, I mean, look, De'Aaron Fox, you can put a big shining spotlight on him. And, and he, you know, it's a big question mark right now. But the thing that really encourages me if I'm a Kings fan is the fact that, look, in order for this team to sustain success over the past few seasons, you needed games where De'Aaron was scoring more than 25 points a game. And if he didn't, that, I mean, it was your, your chances of winning were very unlikely. Um, he hasn't done that. Like, he hasn't been that guy, and yet they've still remained – in game, I mean, they've got a, they had a winning record at one point. They were 500 through 10 games. Um, that to me is a bright spot because you're you don't need him all of a sudden to be that. It would be nice if you did, and I think a lot of people still feel that you're going to get the deer and fox of old in, in some of these moments that he's had uh, last year and the year before, and 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 that'll coincide in more success. But right now, they're finding ways to win games. They're staying in in, in they're staying competitive. Um, they can overcome poor shooting. They can overcome nights where De'Aaron Fox isn't the main factor. But it also makes me wonder, boy, where would this team be without Harrison Barnes right now? And yeah. if Harrison Barnes reverts back to maybe – look, he was sensational last year. But if he reverts back to a traditional Harrison Barnes that might not look for a shot, might not be super aggressive on the offensive end, not, might, might not realize just how great he is in an ISO situation and his ability to shoot over people, um, if he's not that guy as Luke Walton wants him to be and as I've wanted him to be since the moment he stepped foot in Sacramento – um, then what does it look like? So there are some question marks. I, I don't know that this team has an identity, but they sure compete. And Davion Mitchell last night said, our identity is that we don't quit. Mm. And that kind of that kind of shined through last night. Yeah. Uh, on the Fox part, a lot of people are talking about him. I did a little dive on the numbers, Sean, before yesterday's game. The first 10 last year versus the first 10 this year, 
And surprising to me, it was it was very similar scoring. Uh, mm-hmm. Actually, rebounds are up, assists are up. The the dramatic drop is shooting percentage. I mean that that yeah. one free throws to two pointers to three point. I mean it's just dramatically down. So by the end of the year, you know, here's Fox averaging twenty five. I don't know that he's going to get to that this year, and that might be for the better of the team, like you said, if they're all contributing. But what is it? What are you seeing that's just not the Fox that I think we all thought might uh, be there right now for them? The thing that leaps off the page to me is the fact that he doesn't have the ball in his hands all the time. Mm. I think him playing off ball is, is really an adjustment. I mean, anytime Darren Fox is standing in the corner, well, that's going to be bad. So, I mean, even when he's off ball, he's got to remain moving. Um, the fact that this team doesn't really have a lot of playmaking, and you saw last night they really missed Tyrese Halliburton. Um, you know, I don't know that the fact that, that that's <laughs> – you know, I, I know they've got Davion Mitchell, and I kind of look at him more as a combo guard, but even if Davion Mitchell's a play, they still need another one, and I, maybe it comes from the wing position. And You know, obviously you don't want Buddy Heald or Harrison Barnes being the initiators there for playmaking, but, um, you know, I, I feel De'Aaron's struggles for a guy who is historically known as a guy who can just flip the switch um, is primarily him trying to adjust to a different – backcourt mate with Tyrese Halliburton not that he hadn't you know played with him last year but in often oftentimes you have at least one of them on the floor at any given time and it wouldn't be where they were both on the floor a lot and with you have these three guard lineups and Davion now into the mix there's a lot of times where he's got the ball out of his hand so to me I think that's more of anything I know some people question maybe the the bulk he's added and him trying to figure out his body I don't really see that because to me the shot really doesn't look any different it's just the results aren't there um, his free throw shooting is still, you know, yeah. is rough. I mean, that's just that's that's really tough. And he, he had made strides in that area last year. Um, but I think a lot of it is still trying to navigate this new unnatural motion with the officials and, and trying to draw a foul. And, and, you know, he gets into the paint a lot. And he still has that his patented move, which is the free throw extended pull-up jumper. But I just don't – I don't see a difference in his mechanics and his shot. I actually, over the past two games, asked some scouts who were in the building to ISO on him and just feed back, and they just said, no, I, they just felt he was missing shots. Hmm. Um, so, I don't know. Uh, to me, I if I had to really pinpoint on it, I would just say it's him trying to adjust to a role where he doesn't have the ball in his hands all the time. All right, we're talking with Sean Cunningham, ABC10 reporter. He's at all the Kings games, knows this team very well. Had a couple people hit us up about about Marvin. I said, look, I like the way the team has identified who they're playing. And to me, I look at the outlier games and just wonder why Marvin maybe didn't play. The only one I can explain maybe is the Charlotte one where they're up so big. All the all the guys that would clear the bench are was that night, Sean, was Len, Jones, Metu, Bagley, Thompson, like – you can't play all five of your bigs. I guess you can when you're up that much. And then last night was the other one. So I, I don't know that I have an answer. I don't know if it's a front office thing, if it what it is, but um, Marvin Bagley certainly is is definitely far out of the rotation right now. Yeah, and it would appear that way. I mean, especially if you if anybody heard, uh, you know, Monty McNair with Sam Amick on his podcast or even in The Athletic earlier today, he talked about how it's Luke's decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did put it on Luke. And Luke has talked about, you know, look, we have to we're dedicated to defense he wants a physical presence with his bigs and unfortunately for marvin that doesn't bode well for a guy who's missed a lot of action i mean yeah. he's behind the eight ball right now because of injuries and uh he's frustrated with that i'm i'm sure uh he wants to play i'm sure i know you've seen what his agent has put out there right yeah. before uh opening night so it's just look you got to earn it and there'll be opportunities for sure 
Um, I would have thought last night would have been an opportunity <laughs> given the circumstances, but Tristan Thompson didn't play either. I kind of figured that wouldn't was a little bit more out of him being a kind of a vet and not having to throw him in there. But um, yeah, I mean, I would put him, I would lump him in with the young guys want you know, having that opportunity. And, you know, the overarching theme is that this is still a very long season and, you know, Marvin Bagley may not have a, a high value across the league, but you may not need him to, even if you have, you know, he's younger than Davion Mitchell. So even if you have interest in him, you don't need to necessarily go out and trade for him. He's an, he's a pretty decent expiring contract for the Kings. And if that's the biggest uh, value that he adds for Sacramento, so be it. But to me, my argument again has always been, you're not good enough to throw away unproven talent. And if you've, wa- if you've washed your hands with Marvin Bagley, that might be more indicative of you as an organization. I'm not saying that's the case, but right now, um, you know, things have gone pretty well with the exception of uh, of what happened last night in the Phoenix game. And, you know, when you're five and five through 10 and the, the, the message is working and the, at least the rotating bigs of Alex Len and Tristan Thompson and, Ro- and Rashawn Holmes, uh, being there every single night, and you're playing Mo Harkless, who doesn't really stretch the floor great, but is obviously a huge defensive glue guy uh, into what they do on, from the starting five. Um, yeah, it doesn't really provide him much opportunity to play. So things change by the day in the NBA, and who knows what next week looks like. Sean, I may be too early with this, but I've been saying this on the show. I personally think, in my opinion, the bottom five, so the non-10 teams in the West that are – as we know, playing is 10 through 7. I think it's already separated. At 11 right now is OKC, Minnesota, San Antonio, Houston, and New Orleans. It's very early, but am I off on that? Do you think any of those five teams, barring injury, right, that's the whole thing, but assuming people stay relatively healthy, are any of those five teams, in your mind, teams that should we should look out for? No, not really. I mean, I can't – I don't think you're off base there. I mean, I think the one thing – that I, you know, that would, you know, obviously only being what a couple of weeks into the season, but it feels like, especially when in an off season where you're not going to have a lot of free agency, I feel like there's going to be a lot of trades this year mm. uh, in season. But I think that really the the elephant in the room being Ben Simmons is just really kind of clogging a lot of it up because I think people want to see how that shakes out. Now, granted, we're not even into December yet, so <laughs> you know, it, it, it's a, it's a, there's so much that still has to shake out, but unless you know, one of those lower tier teams, like you mentioned, Jay, is like if they can get some top tier talent, then maybe maybe there's a different, you know, maybe something else shakes out. But I, I the one I really want to see is I don't know that I'm believing in the Warriors so much, and I know they've got the league's best record, but like eight of their first however many is are at home, like they're in the middle of an eight game homestand. They haven't really played. I was talking. There was a lot of national media in the building last night. And they were being really critical of the Kings, so I kind of had to like, okay, well, well what, what could you be critical about? I mean, if you're a Kings fan, you're probably pretty thrilled with, with where you're at. And they admitted they hadn't watched much of the Kings. Hmm. And then I go, okay, well, what, you know, you've been, he's like, oh, I've been, what do you watch? He's like, oh, I've been watching a lot of Warriors. And I go, okay, well, you realize the Kings have played Utah twice, like really, really great competitive matchups where they got pasted last year, right? Like this is, this has been, these have been nice matchups early on. They played Phoenix twice. Um, like, what do you, what do you even played the Warriors? Like, what are you seeing? He's like, well, I like the Warriors, blah, blah, blah. I, I get it. And I know Clay's not back yet and they've got a nice record, but they haven't really played anybody. You know, the Kings have only had two Eastern conference. Everyone else is a Western conference. Most of them in the playoffs outside of the Pelicans. Like these are, these are, these are, this is pretty stout opposition in the schedule that they've had. And then they start looking at it and they go, 
you're right. The, the, the Warriors haven't played anybody. Hmm. <laughs> That's what I just said. So they start looking at it a little bit more thoroughly and said, wow, these are all really close contested games. So my point is, like, the Warriors, it could be a little bit fool's gold. Like, I think they're still good. I think they're still going to be a playoff team. But I'm not convinced that they're going to be a top-tier, upper-echelon, top-four team in the West. I kind of think they're going to trickle down a little bit more. Um, and, you know, who knows with Sacramento. But to your point about the bottom the bottom four, bottom five, like, yeah, I think you're right. There is separation, and I think I don't really see that changing. Yeah, I don't either. Again, barring barring injury or barring some sort of significant trade that you mentioned uh, potentially happening. How about this road trip? It's dangerous to look too far ahead, but I think it's laid out nicely with no uh, back-to-backs, San Antonio, OKC, Detroit, and Minnesota. And the other thing the Kings have done well is avoiding more than a two-game losing streak. So they're at two right now. They go to San Antonio it sure looks like a trip that could be productive to me for the Kings. Yeah. I mean, usually you'd probably look at it and go, Oh man, if you can go two and two, that's mm-hmm. great, especially for a road trip, but you're right. I mean, you got the whole weekend off. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's very strange scheduling. Um, but these are winnable games. And after what we've seen already in the early going with the Kings team, um, you're probably expecting some good, some, some fortune there, but what happens with Tyrese Halliburton, um, Terrence Davis now out with this ankle injury, you know, questionable for tomorrow. Um, you know, back is backs can be tricky. As, as Luke Walton said, you can't play basketball without a good back. So, um, although I'd point to Pacey Stockovich <laughs> as, as evidence to the contrary, but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I I feel like two and two is still good, no matter what the opposition looks like. But um, certainly, this team has played well on the road. They're all, they've almost been a better road team at times than they have been at home. So, um, it wouldn't shock me to see this team go three and one and. If they can do that, I think you're, you're you're positioning yourself well because, I mean, if you're trying to break this uh, this playoff drought in Sacramento, these early games are going to be so crucial. You need to capture as many of them as you can, and, and especially at a time when you're healthy. So hopefully Tyrese Halliburton isn't out very long, and if he is, uh, it could it could be a tough tough situation. Obviously, he's questionable for tomorrow, but um, you almost kind of want to give him an extra day just because of the opposition that's ahead. But we'll see. I, I kind of think two and two is where you want to be. As uh, last thing for you, Sean, as a guy who is a uh, you are a Duke fan, uh, <laughs> college basketball starting tonight is going to be weird. It's the last year for Coach K. How weird is that yeah. for you? I mean, it's unheard of for yeah. me. I mean, that's he, he's he's a big reason as to why I became a Duke fan. Um, and uh, yeah, it's very strange. I, I wish I would say this. I mean, I know it's pageantry and all, and they're at MSG and they get to play Kentucky and you've got all these, the big four programs of historic nature that are there. And I just hate these types of matchups so early in the season. Like, first of all, Duke's not going to be very good. I don't think they're going to be very good this year. Um, You know, I know like a lot of people still haven't, I mean, I I saw Andy Katz already came out with a sweet 16 and it's like, okay, (laughs) like what's the point of this? Like, what are we doing? Like Duke was trash last year. Uh, They're probably not going to be very good this year. I don't think Kentucky's going to be very good either, but um yeah, I, I guess. I mean, I'm excited for the season. I hope, I hope I'm wrong. I hope it, it's a it's a season for the ages. But I also kind of think it's time. I yeah. really do. I, I, I'm kind of I'm kind of glad it's coming to it to an end. And uh, hopefully, we can enjoy it as Duke fans and uh, people who hate Duke. I, I, I just hope <laughs> that they can still look at Coach K with some reverence and uh, uh, maybe not. I don't think they will do that. But hopefully, they can enjoy it too. Yeah. All right, Sean. Well, thank you so much, and we will see you uh, see you out of game soon. Can't wait. See you, Jay. All right, thank you. That's uh, Sean Cunningham from ABC10, reporter there a long time, and uh, uh, Sean's really dialed in, really is. So I always appreciate talking to him, getting the insight from him. And, I, yeah, I think 
as we've said about the NBA, the bottom part, I, I do think it's it's kind of this early, which is dangerous to do it, but I, I wanted to put it out there. I do think that there is obviously a ton of season to go, but you just start to think where even it's gotten worse since I made this statement the other day for teams like New Orleans, who I think might be the best of the bottom five, but they lost again yesterday. That's seven in a row. They're one in 10. And Ingram still didn't play. Zion's still not there. And they will be better as the year goes on. But 1 and 10, that's just such a... If you think about 500 probably being close to the benchmark that you need, that's a long way to go. Houston's 1 and 9. San Antonio right now, 3 and 7. Minnesota, 3 and 6. They were 3 and 1. They've lost 5 in a row. And then OKC is 3 and 6. They've won 2 in a row. So... um the other part is those all those teams are going to play each other. I think uh, tomorrow KC plays New Orleans, so one of them's getting a loss. I mean, the, there's there's just going to be so many matchups where people knock each other around. I think that's what's going to happen with this top ten. The Warriors have separated themselves a little bit. I personally think Utah is the best team in the West. Um, then you got some other good teams. Phoenix now is hot. Winners of five in a row. Clippers were one and four. They've won four in a row. It's what little stretch can you get in and how. How far can you take the positive stretch to how many wins in a row before you lose? And when that losing streak happens, can you keep it minimal like the Kings have so far at two games, but they're on another uh, two-game slide needing to try to win tomorrow against San Antonio. So, again, our thanks to Sean Cunningham for joining us. We will take the break. When we come back, we have the final hour of the show. We'll wrap up with the crossover before we get to UC Davis basketball. But when we come back, more of the NFL. Chris Landry, LandryFootball.com. He will join us to start the 5 o'clock hour. That is next right here on Sports 1140 KHDK.